Hey, good morning, everybody. Um, a couple of things. Uh, first of all, um, we had a couple of birthdays yesterday, and uh, I want to acknowledge them. I can't keep track of all the birthdays that happened. Um, huh? Is that yesterday, too? Stacy was a couple of days ago, and then yesterday was Carol and Zeke had their birthdays yesterday. And uh, so happy birthday to all you folks. But it was pretty amazing uh, for Zeke, and I'm not quite sure how he rated so highly. <laughs> there was like fire engines. There, he was out in front of his yard with his family, and fire engines that got lined up and police cars with all their sirens and, and lights flashing. And then we were in cars kind of behind them and they all went kind of slowly past Zeke's house there and it was amazing. <laughs> so anyways, uh, happy birthday. And um, I don't know if they're going to do that on my birthday or not. That'd be kind of cool. But so can you arrange that for me? <laughs> anyways, I, I heard from a pastor friend he sends out emails uh, from his church in Colorado, and uh, I, I just kind of resonated with what he shared as a little greeting uh, to his folks at his church, and I wanted to read that to you today. And uh, his name is Ed Taylor. He's in uh, Calvary in Aurora, Colorado. And he said this uh, encouragement. He said, as we continue to persevere through this challenging pandemic, you'll begin to see more impatience frustration, and maybe even outright rebellion in your hearts and minds. <laughs> he says, it hasn't been easy. The state of Colorado has, ex has told us to expect to do online services for at least the month of May. While we are willing to cooperate and will as best we can, we are also praying about what it will look like to start gathering together again in some form and fashion. Please join us in those prayers. We want to honor God, our community, and the weak and vulnerable around us. And then he says this, remember, Paul was often confined, even unfairly, only to produce some of the greatest written books ever penned. He met the Holy Spirit in confinement. Seek to meet a fresh new work of his spirit in your life too. God loves you we miss you, and we will get through all this together. So that's kind of interesting. I think he hits on a lot of things there that I can truly relate to. But, but we, we are, you know, planning, and we're, we're looking ahead, like, how is this going to look, and how are we going to begin to get back together? Because I, I think it is coming soon. I can't say. We don't know how soon it is, but, but we're going to get back together. And, and so just hold on, persevere, and... Uh, See what God wants to do with you even now in the middle of this isolation, like the Apostle Paul. We looked last week at, at uh, the Apostle John, uh, who was also was in isolation, and he had an encounter with Jesus as well, the, the book of the Revelation. He wrote, in which we have to read and to study. We looked at chapter 1 last week about really the re revelation of Jesus Christ. That, that's what it's all about. It's about Jesus. 
And nothing, you know, nothing or no one can stop what God wants to do. No one can stop Jesus Christ. And so John brings us uh, this this book, this incredible book, which we're going to look uh, at the beginning. If you want to turn with me to chapter 2 of the book of Revelation, we're going to look there at some verses. But he talks about this Jesus who loves us, who has freed us from our sins, who by his blood, he has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve him. And, and, and John says, to him be glory and power forever and ever. This is Jesus, the Son of God, God the Son. This is certainly the one that, that deserves all this glory and honor and power. And he also tells us that, that Jesus is going to return. He is going to return. And so we need to keep that in mind. We need to keep looking up. One of the most glorious things about uh, chapter 1 is that John saw Jesus. He saw Jesus and it was incredible. It was glorious. He saw him and it was just the, the brilliance of his glory. The glory really that he had before he ever came to the earth. He was back now with the Father in the, the glorious presence of his Father, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit but, but one of the interesting things that, that I hold on to and I think about often is that in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it's, it's really the love chapter, but, but in the middle of that chapter it says this, Now we see, but a poor reflection as in a mirror, but then we shall see face to face. One day you and I are going to see Jesus just like John did. We're going to see him, we're going to see him in all of his glory, face to face. Now we just, it's, it's like a... a a mirror that's kind of, you know, glazed over a little bit. We can't really get that great of a picture. But one day we will see him. John the Apostle, it says that he fell at Jesus' feet. And Jesus told him, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, he said, because I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, but I'm now alive forever and ever. I hold the keys of death and of Hades So you and I, he says, don't be afraid. Again, like it says in Psalm uh, 46, don't fear. Why? Because of who God is. That's that's where we need to run to, to fight fear. Later, we kind of finish with this idea in in verse 19 of chapter 1. He says, write therefore what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later. Things that were happening then and things that would happen in the future. And, and even we've been talking about this in our own situation. The, the situation that our, that our whole planet really faces now. The things that are going now, these are, are really what I believe to be the birth pain. Birth pains, you can say pangs too. But the birth pains of what is yet coming. The, the kind of things that are building up, they're leading to the future events. And Jesus said in, in Luke chapter 21 and Matthew chapter uh, 24 as well, to be careful, to be on the watch, to look up, to pray. When you begin to see these things happening, I, I just got a new book that I ordered by a, a fellow named Don Stewart, who is a, he's a, he's an apologist really. He writes about the, the historic Christian faith, and he's, he's written uh, many, many books. And as a matter of fact, uh, uh, 
recently I, he, he made this offer that, that all of his books online could be downloaded for free, completely for, for free. All He's got like 70 books or something like that. So you could go to his website if you, you know, you can do it on your Kindle or whatever it is, and you can read all of his books. It's, it's the website is educatingourworld.com, educatingourworld. But he has a book, uh, it's called The uh, 25 Signs that the, that the End is Near or Imminent. And it's just fascinating, and I'm going to dive in, read in, in this book, but, but some of the things that he talks about, the first, really, the first 10 or 11 deal with the nation of Israel. The reestablishing of the nation of Israel and, and what is going on in, the, in the Israel even now today. One of the signs is, would be that preparations would be made to build the third temple. The Bible says there will be a third temple. And absolutely, preparations are being made even now. There are groups that are working on all the things that will be needed to build and to have worship within this temple. So it, it will definitely be coming. Some of the other things that he mentions, I won't go through all 25. He says there will be a nation, a ten-nation confederation. Now, these are biblical things that the Bible says will happen uh, leading up to the end. There will be a ten-nation confederation, the, the, uh, the revival of the ancient Roman Empire. Now, there, what we have, we have the European Union now, but it is, it's more than ten. So some things have yet to take place, but it's interesting that that was, that was formed. He says there will be a one-world political and economic system. And the world will desperately look for a leader. Uh, some of the things that have been happen, happening recently and behind the scenes, this whole idea of globalism, uh, we don't hear about it too much in our country, but absolutely there have been leaders even in our country who have, uh, that's one of their goals, a, a global, globalism and this whole one world type system. It's coming. It's, it's happening even now behind the scenes. And just think, when, a, when a, a worse pandemic than what we've faced now, a worse situation uh, that, than what we're facing now comes along, people will be desperately looking for a leader, setting the stage for the leader to come that the Bible talks about in the Revelation. He says there'll be uh, an increase in technology, plagues and pestilence will trouble the world, lawlessness, the organized church will turn away from the faith. That's a very sad thing, but that's, that's one of the things that the Bible says will happen. And we see it happening. So many sections of the church are, are turning away from the true faith. They're, you know, watering down the scripture. Basically, the, the scripture is what I say it should be, not what it says, not, not what it says in the black and white. He says there will be false prophets, false teachers, a rise in anti-Semitism. But the last sign that he says is, is interesting, and I think this is for you and I. He says Bible believers will understand what is taking place. You and I need to be informed. We need to know about some of these things that are, that are happening and, and prepare, uh, preparing the way for those last days. What are we looking for? What does the Bible say? And, and, and how does it 
tell us about the signs of the end. So those are just some of the things. That, that's not what I want to talk about today uh, for the most part. What I really want to talk about is, is uh, he says that he's writing to the seven churches. He talks about it uh, in, in chapter 1, and then in chapters 2 through 4, or 2 through 3, excuse me, he begins to give messages to these different churches. But he says this to all seven churches. He said, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And you and I are part of the church. We need to listen up to what the Spirit of God is saying to us. So the first church that, that he speaks to is the church of Ephesus is what we're going to look at and talk about today. Now, uh, I, I've got a picture of a church that well, you and I know as a church. But of course, you know, when the church was formed uh, in the early days, it didn't have these kinds of buildings like you and I think of when we think of a church. They mostly met in people's homes. They mostly met in, in, in groups like uh, uh, like you and I would, would meet in a, in a Bible study in someone's home. But it makes me wonder, it makes me think, and, and this, this concept or this, this theme in the, in the church of Ephesus is that first things first, when everything is stripped away, all the things that we hold on to, what really matters, and that's really the, the heart of what I want to get to here, what's really important when, when all these you know, external things are stripped away in our lives, what is really important? So verse 1, let's read together. He says to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, These are the words of him who holds the, the seven stars in his right hand, and he walks among the seven golden lampstands. Well, who is that? The words of who? It's the word of Jesus. The words of Jesus who he... He is referring back to the things that were said about Jesus in chapter 1. That Jesus had some words to say. Now he's writing to the church in Ephesus, and, and Ephesus was a, a, a major seaport. But one of the things about Ephesus as well, they had a huge temple to the, to the goddess Diana. It was one of the ancient, you know, seven wonders of the world at that time. And all kinds of wicked stuff took place there. But, but the church was there as well. Followers of Jesus Christ were there as well. So, so Jesus is speaking to the church there. Paul wrote, of course, we know the letter to Ephesus. The, the book of Ephesians is a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. In fact, the, the church was started by Paul. He spent a lot of time there. Later on, other people went there. Timothy, Apollos, and others went there. But later on, it's believed that John, the Apostle John, who's writing this, this book of the Revelation, he actually pastored the, pastored the church there for some time before he was put into isolation on the Isle of Patmos. After that, it's believed that he went back there. So what does he say? What does Jesus say to the church, to this church in Ephesus? Verse 2, he says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles, but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. He starts off with a lot of really positive stuff. 
He says, I know your deeds. I know what you're doing. I know your hard work. These are good things. These are things that the church needs to do. We need to work hard. We need to do what God has asked us to do. We also need to persevere. This is to, to keep going. And I mentioned that in, in, in the, uh, you know, the writing from, from Ed Taylor. We need to persevere. When times are hard, we need to keep going. We need to hold on to, on to our faith in Jesus and keep going. He, the second thing he mentions there, he says, I know you can't tolerate wicked men and you have tested those who claim to be apostles or not. He, he, there was this idea of, of being discerning. They worked hard, they persevered, but they were also discerning and to them doctrine mattered. For them, doctrine mattered. What, what the Bible teaches matters, you see. As I said, uh, one of the, the things of the church is they're going to get away from what the Bible teaches to what men teach. We need to hold on to what the Bible teaches. They held on to the, to the Word of God. They held on to what God said above what people who came along and said. Doctrine matters. In verse 6, he talks about uh, a, a false... Uh, teaching of the, the Nicolaitans. But he says here, watch out for, there were false apostles, false teachers, those people who would come along and, and say things and do things that were not true. It was true back then, and it's also true now. What's the message to the church? Yeah, we need to work hard. We need to you know, persevere. We need to do what we need to do. We, but we need to hold on to the truth as well. The truth that was for once and all delivered to the saints, we need to hold on to it. We need to guard it, the Bible tells us. I have on the screen there 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. What does Paul say? He says, don't put out the Spirit's fire. Don't treat prophecies with contempt. So, so we don't you know, treat those things as bad. But what does he say in verse 21? He says, test everything. And hold on to the good. Not everything that is said is going to be true. We need to test these things and hold on to what's good. And then avoid every kind of evil. John the Apostle said it as well in 1 John chapter 4. He says, dear friends, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. We need to test the things that are out. You know, there's so much online. There's so much on TV. There's so much on the radio. You, you need to test these things. Well, how do you test them? You only can test them against this book, against the Scripture, against the Word of God. It's not somebody's opinion. It's not what somebody feels. Well, I really feel that this is what God is saying. But if it doesn't measure up to the Scripture, get rid of it. He says, watch out, there are false prophets that have gone out into the world. He says, many have gone out. You know, the Apostle Paul, one of the last things he did with the church at Ephesus, he met with the elders. You can read about it in Acts chapter 20. And he, and he, he, he told them a lot of, you know, powerful stuff. But he also warned them, and he said this, he says that, that, that many wolves would come. Many wolves would come in and, and Paul warned them and, and now Jesus is also saying, listen, you paid attention to that warning and, and you, 
you know, you didn't even tolerate those things. You tested them and you found they're not and you didn't put up with any of that nonsense. That's good stuff. What about verse 3? He said again, he repeats this idea of the fact that you have persevered. You've endured hardships for my name and you've not grown weary. Again, is this idea of persevering. You and I need to persevere. Don't ever give up. But he says you, you've endured hardships. You know, uh, this life, we're going to face hardships. We're going to face troubles. There's no way around that. Jesus, we looked at that scripture a few weeks ago. Jesus said, in this world you will face tribulation, but be of good cheer, be, be courageous, for I have overcome the world. Jesus said it. You persevered and you have endured hardships. You know, he's, he's, he's patting them on the back, so to speak. You're doing great. You're enduring the hardships for my name. And you have not grown weary. Sometimes we do get, do get weary, but, but Jesus said it in, in Matthew chapter 11, one of my favorite verses, you know, that, that, that when we get tired and weary, we need to go to him. Take his yoke. Listen to him. Learn from him. And he'll give us the strength we need, like it talks about in the book of Isaiah. We'll... we'll our strength will be renewed and we'll mount up with wings like eagles. What a great church, isn't it? This book, this church at Ephesus, it sounds like a wonderful church. I would love to join that church. That's a church I would want to be a part of, wouldn't you? David Guzik says this, he says, By all outward appearances, this was a solid church that worked hard, that had great outreach, and that protected the integrity of the gospel. This was an awesome church. But is there any perfect church? You know, people come along and they, they tell me about a, you know, this church or that church, and I say, you know, there's no perfect church. You know, as long as we're striving to stay true to the Scripture, we're trying to stay close to Jesus... But, you know, even in our own personal lives, you know, that we may be doing a lot of good stuff right, but there may be areas that, that, that the Holy Spirit wants to speak to us about. And Jesus is speaking to this church. Look at verse 4. He had something what, that he wanted to say to this church. Verse 4, he said this, Yet, you're doing all these wonderful things, and, and I commend you, you do, you're doing great. But yet, he said, I hold this against you. He says, you have forsaken your first love. You have forsaken your first love. I hold this thing against you. You've left your first love. I talked about it in the beginning. First things first. Well, what's really important? Doing all those things are good too, but, but the, this, this idea of love, this idea of the heart, is, this is the most important things. He said, he, he called it the first love. You've left your first love. I looked up this word for first in the Blue Letter Bible, of course, where else? And the word, the word is protos. Where we get our word for prototype, it's the, the Greek word that means first. But look at the definition that I found there. He said foremost or first in time, in place, in order, 
or importance, influence, and honor. He says, the, he, he says we've left our first love, the, the love that should be in time, place, and order, importance, be number one, foremost. That love. It's way more important than all these other things that we have swirling around us that we spend so much time on. And, and, and dare I say that we love more than the things that we should love. He says that you've left it. He says you've left it. It means to leave or to let it go or to give it up, to hold on to it no longer. What are those things? Well, he says love, but, but, but really, as I think, threefold. It's God's love for us. It's our love for him, and it's it's love for one another. It's really summed up in those three things. Always, number one, though, is God's love for us. So we've let go of these things. Paul, uh, uh, Jesus says to the church in Ephesus, I hold this against you. There's something you, you've got your priorities mixed up. You've let go of the thing that, that is most important, this idea of love, that, that God loves you, that Jesus was saying to them, I love you, and that and our response of love for him and our love for one another. What's happened to the church at Ephesus? What happens to you and I? I have this question written down here, who moved? Who moved? Did God move? Or was it us? God says in Jeremiah 31, he says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. His love doesn't change. Paul the Apostle talks about it over and over that nothing can separate us from that love. You know, it's, it's the, the height, the depth, the width, the distance. You know, it's, it's, it goes on and on. It's, he's not the one whose love is fading. His love for us is strong and powerful, never stops. So, so really, where is it? It's within us. It says in the book of Jeremiah, God says, go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem. He says, I remember the devotion of your youth. How as a bride you loved me and you followed me through the desert, through a land not sown. As a bride, you love me and follow me. You know, I remember that. God is saying to you and I, what, what was it like when we first came to him? This is the kind of relationship that God wants for us, this love. Love for him, our response of love for all that he's done, for, for love for one another. John talks about it in his epistles over and over and over again. You know, love God and love one another. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, one of the uh, well-known verses in the Bible, and I was thinking about this this morning, is that, that we need to, to, to pass along those, those crucial verses that we all need to know. And, and Matthew 6, 33 is one of them. And I, and I know they sing this in the children's church like every Sunday. Is that right? And... And it says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek him first. And that is the, 
Very same word that we find in Revelation chapter 2. Proto, seek first, foremost. His kingdom and his righteousness and all the rest of the stuff, he'll provide for us. He'll take care of us. Verse 5, he says, remember. He says, remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. The first thing he tells him is to remember. Think about it. Remember. What's going on? Think about what it used to be like. What you had when you first came to him. It reminded me of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. It, the prodigal son, you know, he, he had this incredible thing with his father, and, and, but, it, but he, 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 he said, I, I want to go out and do my own thing, and he, and he went out, and he, he got himself into a whole bunch of trouble, and he found himself in the end feeding pigs, wishing he could eat the, the slop that the pigs were eating. And it says there in that chapter, it says that he came to himself. He came to his senses and he said, I will go back to my father. He remembered what he had with his father. And it says that he went back. And the father, this is one of the most incredible pictures in all the Bible, I think. It says the father was looking for him. And and when he saw him returning, it says the father ran to meet him. That is incredible. Again, the father... The Son, the Holy Spirit, the lo- their love for you and I is never ending. It's everlasting. So when you and I turn back to Him, He's waiting, He's looking, and He comes to meet us. We love Him because He first loved us. Another use of that word. But like the prodigal son, Jesus is saying to the church at Ephesus, remember And repent and do the things you did at first. Turn back. That's what you and I always need to do. Turn back and do the things you did at first. Again, that same word, protos. Do the things you did at first. What did you used to do when you first came to Jesus? What was important then? I know for me, the Bible, you know, I couldn't get enough. Being in fellowship with other believers, spending time talking to the Lord, these kinds of things, this relationship was so important. You think about human relationships, you know, when you meet someone and, and, you know, you're, you're just this... Love is so strong and so powerful, and, and then, you know, it begins to fade over time. Well, well you know, what, do you, what should you do? I, I've lost that love and feeling, like the song says. I, and I've heard them say, uh, you know, them, uh, people who write about these things, well, you need to do the things you did at first. Do the actions, and the feelings will follow. It's the same kind of thing to restore and renew our relationship, our love relationship with God. Do the things that we used to do. 
Take the time. Do the things that we used to do, the things we did at first. We need to take some steps, perhaps. You're wondering, well, you know, that that isn't true in my life anymore. I'm just kind of on the outside. I'm doing all this stuff, but, but inside I don't have that. Well, are you taking any time? That's the first thing asked. Are you? Do you read the Bible at all? Do you ever open up the book? Do you ever spend time alone? Do you have any kind of devotion? Any kind of devotional life where it's just you and the Lord? These are the kinds of things that build this relationship between us and him, I think you will find, we will all find when we turn to him, he's there waiting to spend time to pour out his love. He says if we don't, speaking about the church, he says we're no longer the church if we don't have this kind of relationship, if we're just doing works and we don't have that relationship, we're no longer the church. Finally, in verse 7, as we wrap this up, we bring this to a close. The verse I mentioned in the beginning, he says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. What a powerful verse. But you and I, we need to be listening. Listening to what he's saying. And then he says that to to him who overcomes, I will give the the right to eat from the tree of life. To, To him who overcomes this coldness of heart, this lack of love. He says, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. You have to do a little study on this tree of life. It's very fascinating, but it begins back in in the book of Genesis. It was right there in the Garden of Eden, the tree of life. In fact, it was in the middle of the garden next to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But they were told not to eat of the knowledge of, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and, and you know the rest of the story. They did eat of it, and the curse of sin came upon the human race. They were forced out of the garden. But one of the things you find when, when that happened is it said that the way to the tree of life, the, it was stopped. They couldn't get to the tree of life because they would eat of it and live forever. Thank God that he didn't let us eat of the tree of life, let them eat of it, that you and I would live in these broken down, you know, sinful bodies, a sinful state, and we'd live in like this condition forever. Can you imagine? You know, we might live to be 70, 80, 90, 100 maybe. But if you had to live like this forever and ever and just get older and older and, and, and never be able to die, how horrible that would be. But he says that as we overcome and we have this relationship with him, We will be given the right to eat from the tree of life. And now, fast forward to the end of the book, from the beginning to the end in Revelation chapter 22, it says that in heaven, the tree of life, it's going to be there. It'll be on either side of the river of the water of life. The tree of life will be there giving fruit like, you know, every month that you and I will be able to eat of it and live forever in heaven 
and perfection forever and ever. I'm looking forward to that. You can jump ahead. You know, you can, you know, read the last chapter and find out about what heaven is going to be like. The wonderful, glorious things will be there for those that have a relationship with him. But first things first, man looks on the outward, but God looks on the heart. So you and I need to pay attention to the things that really matter. Jesus said it was an interesting thing. You can read about this in John chapter 20. He said, he said it to him three times, really, and it's a whole message in itself. But he said to Peter, he said, do you love me? And sometimes I wonder if he says that to you and I. Do you love me? Again, what's, what's not in question here is does he love us because he loves you? He loves me. His love will never stop and never change. But do we love him? Do you love me, he said to Peter. We're going to go ahead and pray now. And, and really, when, when all the outward things are stripped away, is there a heart of love? Do we have this, this, this love between us and Jesus Christ, when all is stripped away. Our gracious Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you for your word. It's powerful, it's living, it's active, and it, it gets into the very heart of who we are. And you asked Peter, do you love me? And you challenged the church in Ephesus that they'd left their first love. They, they had gotten sidetracked. They'd gotten off into a lot of other things. They loved a lot of other things and the love of the world even and left behind their love for you. Father, it happens to us. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, and, but you're calling us back and you're calling us to the heart of worship. You're calling us to love you with all our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. To love our neighbors, ourselves. Lord, I confess that I can't do that without your help. Holy Spirit, help me. Renew in me a right spirit. Cleanse me. Revive me as I come to you, as I simply come and offer myself. Lord, I pray that for each one of us that we would come and offer ourselves to you. Perhaps our love has grown cold. Light the fire in our hearts, Lord. Father, I pray for any here today that's, that are listening. Perhaps you need Jesus for the very first time. Perhaps you are searching your loss and, and all the things that are going on in the world are, are 
creating fear and you need answers. Well, I want to tell you, Jesus has the answer and you need to come to him today and open your heart and life to him today. And you can pray with me right now and simply say, Jesus, I'm lost. Please come in and and forgive me. Give me hope. Forgive my sin. I need you now, Lord, and Savior Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray.